0: Is the Blue Room one hour? Everything Everton. Radio City Talk. Welcome to the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. With me, Peter MacPartland, Dave Downey, and Matt Jones in the studio. Uh, later on in the show, we will obviously be looking back at Saturday's game against Manchester United and looking forward to this weekend's game against Arsenal. But first of all, we're obviously going to be focusing on the show about the sad passing of Everton legend. Howard Kendall, and there's no better way really to start the show than speaking to James Corbett, the author of Howard Kendall's book *Love Affairs and Marriage: My Life in Football*. James, are you there?
1: Hello there. How I are
0: you doing? am. Hi, hi mate. Um, obviously, Saturday morning must have come of a bit of a shock to you. Uh, what were your What were your initial feelings?
1: Oh yeah, it was a great shock. Um, you know, the text message started to come through. About half ten in the morning, and you know you wonder whether it's a joke or, you know, whether it's one of these Chinese whispers that sometimes go around. Um, and unfortunately, it wasn't. So it was it was a, with a very very heavy heart that I found out that the news was true.
0: Obviously, you you um, you helped Howard and his book with his autobiography. How did how did that come to be?
1: Um, I was well. I mean, I obviously grew up watching Howard's great teams in the 1980s, um, and I was introduced to Howard by a mutual friend about five years ago. And we, we we talked about doing a book, and we agreed to do it in 2012. And really, really, for a lot of 2013, we spent together first working on it and writing it and deciding what was going to go in and how we wanted it to to be, and then going on the road and publicising it and, you know, Howard loved nothing better than to be with um, the fans, with ordinary people, he was always a very accessible person Um, and, you know, we had some really good times uh, through that year
0: there's obviously the public side of him, as you said. There, you know, he was obviously someone you are seeing a lot of the time out and about around. Well, you, most most games at Goodison, you know, down Goodison Road, you probably see him there about. Was there, was there a private side to him that you know people didn't see? Um,
1: there wasn't. There wasn't. He was. He was very much a football man. I mean, it was. His, it was his whole life, really. Uh, you know, he was. He was obviously a great prodigy. And was and was in the public eye from the age of seventeen onwards. You know, he was the youngest person to play in an FA Cup final for many, many years. Um, and he, he he sort of viewed his life through football. I mean, obviously, obviously he had a family and uh, it's, it, uh, he, he was he was married. His, 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 his second wife, Lil, is a, is a Liverpool fan, ironically, uh, and from a staunch Liverpool supporting family. But that was really the prism that he saw his life but you know he was he was obviously close to his children and took great pride in them um you know son had a has a very successful career in business and i mean i always remember last christmas i know it sounds funny but he, he went to go and visit them and he was he was so delighted that his grandson had Completed a Lego set that was, you know, way in advance of his years and so on. So there was that side to him as well that, you know, perhaps perhaps ordinary, you know, the football watching public didn't see. But you know, he was he was a complete football man, and that's. That's how he viewed his life, I think.
0: You mentioned there obviously being a childhood hero in, in terms of being, being the manager. I mean, neither of us are old enough really to, to have seen him play. Um, was, was it tough getting over that sort of, you know, being with, with somebody we would remember from our childhood being this massive legend of Everton Football Club?
1: How do you mean tough, Tough in not seeing him play, or tough in... No, just, just. I mean,
0: just tough as in you know, you get starstruck by him, and then here you have to work with him every single day.
1: I don't. I mean, I don't think so. I think, I think when you're working in football, there's. Probably know as you know in the media and as a journalist, you, know, you take people as they come. I mean, he was very down to earth. He, he was very grounded. There was no airs or graces about him, which 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 makes it easy. And you know what? I think the same is true for a lot of the Everton team of that era, and also also the Liverpool teams of the 70s and 80s. There's not really an edge to any of these to these great names that. Uh, you know, made the city the, the the premier football point in in in, in Europe for for many years.
0: Are you heartened by what you've seen in the last few days? The tributes that have come up from other football clubs, other football people, because in a way, Howard Kendall's been forgotten about in the Premier League era in the last ten years or so. You, you know, it, I felt myself it was difficult to to know what other people felt about him. Was he held in the same esteem that, that we felt about him? Because obviously, to us, he's an absolute idol. But you know, to other people in the in the modern era, modern era, sorry, he's not he's not as well known. Are you, you know, satisfied that? Uh, his legacy, you know, has shone through.
1: Well, I am and I'm not. I mean, the fact of the matter remains that until his death, he was the most successful English football manager alive. You know, nobody really appreciates that. Before Before he turned 41, he'd won the league championship twice as manager. He'd won the FA Cup. He'd won a European trophy. Can you imagine an Englishman doing that today and the hype that would be attracted to them. I mean, it's it's inconceivable. I don't <clears> I don't think the game as a whole appreciates that. I mean, if you look at Harry Redknapp, for instance, the way that he's lionised by the media and venerated and so on. And, he, and, he, and he's a director of how to played together for the, for the 13 team. And, you know, he's won one break-up of uh, 30 or more years as manager. Howard had that haul within within the first six or seven years. As working as a manager. On the other hand, you know, you just see the the tributes coming from all sorts of people, you know, from within football and outside football. Even Jeremy Corbyn was was tweeting. Um, I believe he's a big Arsenal fan uh, about about Howard's passing, and you know that's that's all lovely to see. Um, so I think, belatedly, yes, there is there is some recognition, but. You know, maybe it was a bit too late, and maybe, maybe also, you know, even even Evertonians we take our heroes a bit for granted, and you know there should have been a statue of Howard outside mm-hmm. Goodison Park long before now, and they're talking about doing it. I hope they, I hope they do do it for Howard and the rest of the Holy Trinity, but also for people like Neville Southall.
2: It was interesting, I was reading in The in, in the Independence, I think it was uh, Kevin Garside wrote a really good piece on, on Howard Kendall earlier this week, James, and um, he, he was quick to identify the the fact that uh, a lot of people think that it was Alec Ferguson who sort of come along and, and knock Liverpool off their perch, and I sort of wonder does that have a, an influence on how people look at Howard's time and success in the mid-80s, because... Obviously, it was the time when Ferguson sort of began that sort of resurgence with Man United, and it's sort of forgotten that it's Everton who really decided to come and and, and rub shoulders with Liverpool.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's true that Fergie did not Liverpool off the perch, because Howard did it, but then Liverpool came back even Mm. better in 1988 and 1990. And they were a phenomenal team. Um, possibly better than the teams that won European trophies. So I think I think there's an element of truth in that. Also, Ferguson built a genuine legacy at Man United, and Howard didn't at, at Everton. And maybe things would have been well. I think I know that things would have been different had it not been for the European ban. I think Colin Harvey also came quite close to building on Howard's legacy. Just just never quite happened for him. So. You know, things, things, things could have been different had had the succession been successful. Mm-hmm. Had he stayed, uh, you know, maybe people would have viewed him a little bit. Different. It may be Everton as well.
0: The, obviously, he was the last English manager to win a European trophy, and obviously that that goes into I suppose the the England manager's job. The, the, did he have any bitterness towards not ever getting the England job? Obviously, you know, Graham Taylor got it by finishing, I think, second in in the league for Aston Villa. Was it? Do you ever feel like it it should have been his?
1: Well, he was he was, he was very phlegmatic about it because at the time that Graham Taylor got the job, uh, Peter Swales was the Manchester City chairman, and he was also in charge of the FA's international committee and in charge of recruiting the new manager. And Howard was on a shortlist with Joe Royal and Graham Taylor. And the way it was presented to him by Peter Swales was, you know, the thing. The manager's job—you don't want it, do you? And <laughs> that was pretty much it. You know, he wasn't going to be looking for a new manager just months after recruiting Howard. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't think he was. I, I don't think bitter would be the be the right word. And you know, the same goes for his for his lack of international playing career. I mean the thing he always used to say was he'd sooner be remembered as the best player <laughs> never to have played for England than somebody who'd played, you know, one 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 meaningless friendly or come on as a substitute for ten minutes. Um so but I mean he was he was he didn't reflect too much on these matters,
0: and obviously, you know, the the title of the book, "Love Love Affairs and Marriage," it obviously goes back to the, uh, his great quote about you know Man City being a love affair, but Everton being a marriage. It, it, you know, he did it. Really, was in his heart, wasn't it? For 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 someone who obviously didn't grow up an Evertonian, you know, the club truly was in his heart. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: completely. I mean, he, he, he you know, football was his football was his first love, and it was his dad that you know taught taught him how to play but also brought him to Newcastle and Sunderland so he didn't he didn't really have that one affinity as a, as a youngster growing up um and Everton Everton really became his club and of course he was he was synonymous with it as as both a player and a manager and you know he he genuinely loved the club you know he really did i can say that
0: and obviously you mentioned there, you know, about statues and, and people have mentioned, you know, renaming a stand after him. You know, is that is that how you'd like to see him, you know, remembered by the club or recognised by the club, uh, a statue?
1: Yes, yeah, no question. I, and I think, a stat, I think a statue that commemorates not just his role to the club, but also Colin Harvey and um, Alan Ball as well. Um, I, I think that would be lovely because... You know, if you think about Everton's Everton's all-time greatest players, you know Alan Ball would almost certainly be in the top three, and you know, but the case for putting Howard Kendall and Colin Harvey in there on their own merits as players, anyway. But obviously, Howard had a a phenomenal role in Everton history as both a player and a manager. I think, I think, I think, I think sometimes his playing career gets overlooked hmm. slightly. I mean, obviously, people talk about that combination. With, with with Harvey and uh, Alan Ball. But I mean, I was looking through some old photos uh, last night and there was one of Howard in 1973, which was, a, you know, the end of Harry Catrick's career as manager and Everson were not far off relegation at the time of Liverpool winning the league championship. But, you know, who was it that won the Merseyside Sports Personality of the Year? It was, it was Howard Kendall because... If you, if you talk to fans of that era, he, he basically single-handedly kept them off as a player. You know, he was he was he was what held it together. Um, so I think that part of his career gets gets overlooked slightly as well. And yeah, I think I think a statue would be a fitting recognition. And once that's in place, then the club needs to look at um, you know, generating other other living legends within their own lifetime and. You know, I'd, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm slightly biased, but I'd start with myself after that. <laughs> uh,
0: James, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for coming on and talking about Howard Kendall.
1: No problem. Thank you. Thank See you very same.
0: much. That's uh, James Corbett, who... who Helped Howard Kendall's autobiography, love affairs and marriage, my life and football. Uh, it was a bit of a shock, wasn't it, gents? So obviously, waking up Saturday morning, um, hearing the news. You know, you, like James said, there you 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 hear things from time to time. You hope they're not true, especially when the internet's concerned. Um, but, but sadly, obviously, close friends of him confirmed it not so t- not long after, and um, you know, just just hours before a game of football. I think. I think it just completely took the the wind out of everyone's sails. Yeah,
2: I I was still on holiday. Um, funnily enough, just checking out of our room, and uh, we have a WhatsApp message group uh, at the station with uh, obviously all of our colleagues who work here. And uh, Carlos broke the news on it, and he was just about to go on air with Snods on uh, on Satan Snods, and he was saying that Snods was just you know inconsolable about it, and. Uh, I was obviously on, on a bit of a downer anyway because I was coming home off holiday and then uh, I was actually looking forward to spending the afternoon watching the game before I had to get on the flight and come home and it just it just made that game. I know we're going to talk about it in a bit, but it just made the game so hollow. It was it was unreal. It was it felt weird watching mm. a game of football after it um, and, and obviously that's it, it puts things in perspective personally as well, doesn't it? You start thinking about like well the way James spoke about how we do take our legends for granted in Everton because mm-hmm. we've got so many of them haven't we and um, it got me to thinking as well just doing a little preview on the show before before we come on here just then and we we are not sort of known for remembering our legends in that specific way of building statues obviously we've mm-hmm. got Dixie mm-hmm. but we haven't got anything else really and I was thinking that, you know you, you, you look at other clubs obviously Liverpool have got yeah. Shangli and all, all that sort of thing and I was thinking, well, maybe this could be the start of that. Yeah. yeah. Sort of. Yeah, like like James said, that start of maybe creating the foundations for all of our legends and living legends and stuff.
3: You look you look at other teams, don't you? And they've got stands named after uh, after after mm, you know yeah. immortal figures. Arsenal, I remember going down there last season, and they've got like six or seven EMI, stages, yeah, of, of their of their icons. Oh. And, when, and when you when you consider Everton's, so mm. like the the pantheon of great players, and yeah. great managers. Kendall, like Jay's touched upon there, was was a great player and a great manager. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, aside from Dixie D, maybe there's there's probably nobody else in, in the club's history who has mm-hmm. has been so significant to, to Everton and had such a successful period. So. there's... You know, for me, for someone who, who, you know, I, I barely re- remember Kendall in his third spell as a manager. Really, that's 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 my only memories as, as a manager. Yeah. But I've so often seen him. i often, often seen him walking down Golders Road, shaking hands with people, big grin on his face. And mm. you, you hear about people in the game who sometimes have an aura about them, and it's 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 intangible and it's tough to explain. And, and, yeah. and he and he had that. And for, for me, there's no reason whatsoever why we can't honour him with, with a statue or, or naming a stand after him. But I
2: think that's a really important point that Matt's just touched upon in terms of we're of a generation and and I include myself in that I mean I'm I'm in my late 20s now where you don't remember him for the glory years Mm. that's sadly somewhat Mm. the memory you've got of him is 97, 98 and you think you think of the squads that he inherited first of all which was obviously poor um, and how that season sort of manifested itself and ultimately kept us up, um, which is a massive saving grace, really, because I think in an interview that I've watched recently, he said that that would have sort of left a really big sort of dent in what he'd done for the football Mm -hmm. club had he not stayed up. But So I think it's important that certainly listeners of our show who are of my age and younger, that You go out there and have a little read and have a little do a little bit of research on who Howard Kendall was and, and what he did for Everton Football Club. But apart from the memories you've got of him when you mm. maybe attended the game in that season or when you started supporting the club, he was you, you can and and it, it, it's something that's astounded me this week you can't overstate. How important this man was mm. for us. I mean, you'll know. You'll know better than well, me. Matt.
0: No uh, anyone anyone out there has got any feelings, get in touch with us on Twitter. It is at the Blue Room EFC. Uh, we're going to go into a break now. We'll we'll have we'll have more we'll have more on Howard Kendall when we come back on the Blue Room.
3: The Blue Room Radio City
0: Talk. Welcome back to the Blue Room on Radio City Talk with me, Peter McPartland, Dave Downey and Matt Jones in the studio. Uh, we started the show obviously talking about Howard Kendall. We'll continue on that theme for the time being. Uh, if anyone wants to tweet us into the studio, it's at the Blue Room EFC with your thoughts on the great man. And, uh, you know, obviously you're younger than me, so, you know, you've missed out on all the glory. Um, but, you know, starting from where, where you left off there and talking about his, his third spell, Um I think in his third spell, I still think he'd done a really good job. You know, mm. I think I think he had a lot of young players in that squad. Um, he had to wheel and deal. Um, you know, he he came in at a very difficult time. Don't forget, Joe Royal had left um, ha- after not being able to buy the plays he wanted, and uh, you know Everton Everton then struggled for the rest of that season. And and and, and when he came in, I mean, you know, he, he was it was it was um, Andy Gray's job. You know, I, I, I remember going to... Uh, I remember actually going to America that summer to go to work in a camp. And I, I remember getting on the plane and the echo basically said, front page, Andy Gray is the manager. And, and you know, two days later when I finally sort of got back in connection with the real world, the finals he's not the manager and Howard Kendall's having to take up you know, mm. basically having to take over again. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a great season. and But, but for what he had, I think he's still done a really good job that season.
2: I, well, yeah. You, you, if you look at you can look at it in two ways, can't you? you look at well, i on, look at the players you brought in, uh, and then you can look at it. Well, look what he did with the players that were already there. And I think if you look at it in the in the in the latter sense, then yeah, he has done a good job. Because I mean, I remember that season, and it was um, it, it was devastating at times. Because as Matt the to a little bit earlier you had the end of Joe Royal factor, and we'd finished sixth on the back of that season, and that looked like the start of something new for yeah. us. Again, we won the FA Cup, that belief was back there, um, and you looked at the players we had, it was a really exciting team we had as well, when we had Kinshalskas in there, and then it, when when Royal went, you sort of felt like, well, this needs somebody to take it on to another level mm-hmm. here. Um, so it's like James was saying, Colin Harvey nearly did it after uh, kind of left the first, uh, the the first time. Uh, sorry, the second time. And then you, you feel as if that you you sort of there's periods in our history, isn't there? Where you think we've missed the boat a little yeah, bit there. Yeah. And for for all intensive purposes, it's it's as if Howard come back to see. Well, hang on, this is a bit of a mess now. This has turned into a mess. You had the Andy Gray sort of. Mm. What was it? A
0: bit of a scandal in the end, wasn't it? Well, he, Andy gay basically <laughs> said, I'm not going to swap the uh, comforts of a Sky Sports studio yeah, for, for basically, scrappy. well, yeah, and, and destroying my legacy at the football club. And, and also, he, he wasn't really given any money. No. I mean, he wasn't given any money that year. And, yeah. and it, as soon as Walter Smith came in the following year, suddenly the chequebook was open. Well, but it takes bottle what he did. The, the, that, that's how uh, one, of, one of the long-lasting memories
2: mm. I'll, have of him, I'll have of him is he was always the first it seems at our football club to stick his head above the parapet whenever mm-hmm. things w- weren't going our way, he was the first to stand up and be counted um, you look at it, I w- we were talking in the break day you look when we saw Gary Lineker he come out and said that in, in, in the aftermath of that well we were too reliant upon a man who's just scored 40 goals in a season for our club I mean you can imagine that today mm-hmm. can you imagine Roberto Martinez coming out and saying Lukaku's off, we're too mm-hmm. dependent on him ten months later we went and won the league. <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? It that is just that is what are you took proper, a- That's a proper man. Took, it takes a man took, to do. He that. took
0: chances, you know, he sold Andy Gray and Andy gave his absolute darling the Gladys Street, and he sold them for Gary Lineker. He identified the best young talent, and this is when Everton could go and get the best young talent in the country, and, and got him. And you know, and then as you say, 12 months later, he's yeah. he's he's getting he's got a fantastic yeah. deal for him, made a lot of money on him, and and ends up winning the league, I, and and that's the kind of manager he was. Yeah, well, look, reading back about the
3: stories over the last few days and stuff. He, he strikes me as a man He was must have been very instinctive in what he did, and he he believed in his instincts. If, he, if you look at. You mentioned about selling Andy Gray. There, he, he bought Andy Gray a few months earlier, or eighteen months earlier, mm-hmm. even though he had to fail the medical, and. He obviously had a feeling, he obviously had something, he knew something about him and I thought he's going to be good for us and good for this club. And you read all these different stories about decisions he made, his, his team talks, the way, the way he handled the players. And it feels as though his, his football and personality you know, and his human personality were really well intertwined. Mm-hmm. And, and that seemed to rub off, rub off on the players. And a lot of what I've read over the, the last few days is he's saying, you know, the players can always go and have a night out if they want to, as, as long as I'm allowed to join in, sort of thing. And, yeah. and their characters, you, you don't really have in, in the game anymore and James touched, touched upon it there. It's a stat I didn't actually know that the he was the most successful living English football manager and that, that's something that, that's been overlooked a lot in, yeah. in, in, amongst a lot of modern football fans including mm. myself, really.
2: Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it's, it's amazing. It was, I was talking to Sharpie before we did the Legends show last night and I said to him, you know, and, and, and it's funny because you sort of take stock of where you are at the time and I was just sitting there and Sharpie was reading the paper before we come on half an hour before the show and I said to him, but what was it about him that that made him so special as a player? And he went, he, ju- he just made everyone feel at home and, and, and this sort of togetherness thing and, and things that have now become cliché that weren't back then, yeah. you know, like team mm-hmm. spirit and stuff like that. He said that he, he, he made everyone happy in, in a way that, you know, they go into training first day of pre-season and everyone's expecting to have him to go run round sand dunes and he mm-hmm. said, he get the footballs the out and say, time, yeah. Atlanta, let's, ha- let, let's have a game um, and... and he just strikes me as one of the most unorthodox ways mm-hmm. of doing things, and the but the not. Uh, to put it, for want of a better term, there was always a method in the madness yeah, of what yeah. he did. There was a reason why. It wasn't just the sake of, come on lads, let's all go on the lash and, and, and let's <laughs> yeah, have disregard. Yeah. There was something in it, and, and that's what Andy Gray was well, saying yesterday on the show. He said that you'd go out for a meal for him and he'd just throw out a comment about, you know, he'd you, you like say to Sharpie, oh, you should've squared that the other day and we would've scored again. Or something like that. And he said then he wouldn't say another word. He'd leave the lads to discuss it. And he'd sit back and watch. And he'd make the odd couple of notes. Yeah. And that, that's a real, like, head work. Well, yeah. that, an, you think, hang on, that, that isn't somebody who's just
0: gone for a jolly-up. That's someone who actually wants to get inside the head of yeah. other people. It's interesting, that, because one of the first things Sir Alex Ferguson identified when he went into Martin United was the Tuesday Club, it was called. Effectively, it was all the drinkers. <laughs> um, and he got rid of them all, you know. Paul McGrath, mm. no, Whiteside. He kept Brian Robson, um, but it seems to be sort of like the opposite way with with Howard. But in, a, in you know, where is it? Man United. He was probably like a, it was like a click. at Everton. He made, you know, I was t- I was talking to Derek Mountfield yesterday, and he said. He took us, you know, saying what you've just been there. But he took them all out, mm. every single mm, one. Yeah. After train, he said, "Right, we're all going for the Chinese and Southport." And it literally was like you've just said it. What it was almost like not like clear the air talks, but he done it in a dead clever way. It was like he said, you know, there was loads of food. But no. there was never an importance placed upon. No, no, no. It was yeah. just like, right, lads. It's almost like it was a treat, but it wasn't actually a treat. Yeah. And he said, you know, he said loads of Chinese, loads of um, loads of drink. He said at the end of the table, at the end of the table, Neville Southall would have a uh, fish and chips and a cup of tea. And he said, but Neville would be there. And he said that was the, he said we made the accommodator for someone like Neville who could be so yeah. difficult, <laughs> but he made sure he was there because he wanted every single player there. And. And that's the way he did things. He said, you know, he could be brilliant like that, but then he could be ruthless at times. You know, Derek was saying to me that when Dave Watson came and Dave Watson got injured, and he played, uh, I think he said nine games in a row with Kevin Ratcliffe and everything, was, everything looked great. And then as soon as Dave Watson was fit, he just went, you're out the team mate. and he just went, the simple fact is, this is the uh, best up-and-coming centre-back in the country, and you're injury, you know, prone, and he said I've got to look after the team, and I know you've done great mm-hmm. things for he said that's the way he was Yeah, it's said,
2: that the team, we just said it's, the, it's having that bottle, it's yeah. having that bravery to be mm. a, a man, basically, and the funny thing Matt says there about the, the instinctiveness of him, and that's another thing with Sharpie was telling me last night that if there was a player become available or linked with the club or, you know and a real top player at the time, as you can imagine we were linked with when we were winning things if he didn't like them as a person, or who they were, or how they conducted themselves, he said, they're not for me, they're not coming in, because mm-hmm. they're not destroying what I've set yeah. up here, yeah. and he said it's funny, when because you mentioned Southall there, how unorthodox he was mm-hmm. to all the rest of the lads, he said, Pat Fander now, he said, from complete left field, mm-hmm. he said, and he still saw something in him yeah. to bring him in, and, and thought that he'll still be suited to our side and all. Be all that you know. He was he, a great character, and, in and John business. Bailey. Yeah. John
0: Bailey's one of his one of his best mates. You yeah. know, he was, and so, but he didn't care. That's that's the way it was. Yeah. But these, like you mentioned, these are qualities which just overlooked nowadays, aren't
3: yeah. they? You know, we all get, you know, we all get dragged into to, to the modern game and you know, tactical stuff and yeah. pros and all these sorts of things, and you just think. If managers just did a little, more, little bit more like that, they, they trusted the footballer instincts. Humanistic approaches. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, they, and they took that kind of, of slant to the players. I know it's a lot different now and you can't really do it, but some of those qualities moving forward could easily be implemented now and, and they would probably be to a lot of teams' benefit. And, and you know, the, 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 obviously
2: a legend of the club's died and I, I was absolutely devastated in tears myself, but... The fact that we're sitting here talking about these things, and you've got younger fans, and I hope our younger listeners Mm -hmm. who who download the show, or if they're listening to it live, you sort of appreciate what this is, and it's a great time to sort of celebrate the life of someone who's done so much for our club and Mm -hmm. put put them on the pedestal that every Everton fan holds them.
0: Listen, when (laughs) when Howard Kendall uh, took over Everton, you know Everton, Everton went in the doldrums. You know, uh, younger listeners. You know, even yourself I mean I was I, I'm just old enough to remember, you know, I'm just old enough to remember. But even just before that when I when I was a little bit younger, you know, the Everton were they were in an awful position and, and there was calls for them to be sacked, obviously people will know about that. And what what the most amazing thing is, he took on the best team in Europe, being Liverpool, and beat them. Mm-hmm. And for a couple of years went head to head with them and took them on and basically took Everton to, you know could, you know, I know it's all would have, could have, should have, but took Everton to the, to the to the peak of what, at the time, you could achieve. Mm. And you, you just don't have that kind of bottle anymore. He took a team from seventh to the champions. Mm. That doesn't happen mm. anymore. It doesn't happen. And that's what he achieved. Yep. Now, where I know there's a lot of people say but well, there's a lot of uh, outside forces, but he had the bottle to do that. He had the mm. bottle to challenge mm. those people. You wouldn't even dare get that. Now, you'd get managers saying... Right, well, we finished 7th, the next thing to do is try and get 4th to get mm. Champions League and then we'll take it step by step. No, he built a young side and then added the likes yeah. of Peter Reid, Andy Gray, like you mentioned, two players who were considered over the, over the hill on the scrap heap and he's seen something in them, brought them in and made, you know, Peter, Peter Reid ended up going to the World Cup in 86, Andy Gray, you know, when he left was uh, was just an absolute shock to the fans. So he would do those things, yeah. and um, even a second time round, you know, people say it was a uh, he never he never achieved the things that he achieved the first time. But you know, there was there was certain things that were stopping him, but. Most of the team that won the FA Cup in nineteen ninety five were his team. I think Mike Walker added Joe Parkinson and Anders Limpard, but I think the rest of those players were his. Mm. Uh that that gets forgotten about. I know I know Joe took them and he deserves all the praise. But you know, for not signing Dion Dublin, I mean what a player he could have been if we got him for a million yeah. quid. And for not signing him, he left the club. Fair enough, he's got his principles. But that ninety five team, people've got to remember that that was a lot of that was down to him as well. Mm. Yeah, it was and, and, and that's sort of my abiding memory
2: of success at Everton. Unfortunately, we've been unable to repeat it. Um and, and that that's the sort of the, the downside to talking about such great times is the fact that it's been so long since mm. we've ever done anything yeah. like that. Any rem- anywhere near remotely since um and you remember that ninety five side and it's it, it's full of who I consider my heroes as an Evertonian, the, the genuine ones that I've seen live, do you know what I mean, in terms of the ones that I know of, in, in terms of Howard Kendall's era. And you look at that side, and we were on the verge of doing something maybe not as great, admittedly, but something that looked as if it could have a long-lasting effect on the club, something that we could build on it, a, a, not, not a dynasty, as it were, but something where we could pin our hats on it and say, well, look, this is Everton, moving back towards the club we used to know them as in the 80s and uh, mm. again it's, uh, you talk about history repeating itself it that with Joe Royal didn't it he, he walked yeah. out the club when, when, we, when yeah. we couldn't sign someone so. Just
0: add a couple of tweets in there. Andy, Andy Craven said watch the buying game again this morning Howard Kendall made us untouchable so many great memories from one inspirational man and obviously this is the story when uh, the, the Bayern Munich manager said something uh, about this is not football and, and Howard basically told him uh, it was in his own words <laughs> uh, Colin Jones just a classic team talk at Stoke. Where Howard opened the window in the dressing room And said just listen to the fans uh, And James Kluski Again could you do that now Sorry to interrupt you But would you ever see <laughs> no. that happen now I don't think dressing ever. rooms have windows unfortunately <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, And I'm buried about three foot If they are the, they're <laughs> yeah. the bulletproof And about 12 <laughs> foot yeah. thick And James Kluski said I recall going to St Anthony's for a mass after Shanks' death I didn't know why my teachers were crying When I, I realised on Saturday It's strange the way Blues don't try and identify With Kendall the way Reds do with Shanks We must do more changes and that's quite a good point because yeah. I'm guilty of this myself. I've seen Howard Kendall walk down Goodison Road so many times. I've interviewed him three times and I've took it for granted every time without thinking that this is the this is the greatest the greatest evertonian, simple because of what he did as a manager and also because he was part of the Holy yeah. Trinity. And as James said, a lot of people forget that. And I think I think he I think You know, we shouldn't be... I'm not not blaming anyone. I think we're all guilty of this. Uh, We we wait too long to identify our heroes because it's sad that Howard Kendall has almost been forgotten by the football world in many, you know... um, and he's, you know, you've seen all the YouTube videos, my parties and singing and and all this. Wow. It, it's sad that he didn't have a role at the club. Whether it, you know, whether it just be a sort of honorary role, there wasn't. He didn't have one, and and I think that's a bit a of, bit of a shame. Yeah. Um, I don't you know. Wh- s- I don't know why that was, but for whatever reason. But um, <laughs> what I, what I think we need to do uh, is look after Colin Harvey. Give him some kind of role. He's the last of the holy eternity, in, you know, and I think I think he should be given some kind of honorary role. And that's not just a knee-jerk reaction to uh, to the passing of Howard. But you know, James was right. Why are we looking to build statues after after you know people have passed away? Why aren't we do? Why aren't we showing yeah. them the appreciation yeah. when they're alive? It, it stretches from everyone, not just fans. It's yeah.
2: top to bottom. And and the thing is, you've got um, a football club that has standards that we all. Wanted to achieve again And we've got a fan base That before the start of this season And certainly now is divided You've got these people who um, Are happy with the way the club's run And and, and see the ownership as not a a big big issue And you have people who want Dramatic change from top to bottom at the club The fact of the matter is Each of those people Each of those different factors Who want different things at Everton Football Club Are all brought together Can all resonate Mm. with what Howard Kendall's done for the football club because if you're on the side of the fence that you don't want anything to change at Everton and you're a person of the, the club's values as they are now then obviously you resonate with what's happened when Howard Kendall's brought us all the way through up to the present day uh, and players like Harvey and and Alan Ball, they're Everton through and through. They're, that's what resonates with a lot of people who are happy with what they see at Goodison nowadays. If you're one of the others who wants change and you want a better Everton, people are screaming and kicking down doors saying they want change at the top of Everton. They're doing it because they're used to that standard back in the day that people like Howard Kendall set. So... It's not. Th- th- this isn't an issue where you can be divisive over. I think every single one of us, wherever you stand, on how a football club's run On how the football mm-hmm. club lives and breeds day to day then yeah. you, you, we're all sort of brought together it's by the fact that we've got these tr- legends who made the club what it is yeah. and give
3: you the view that you've got now. Well, he, he was a man who embodied the, the motto, wasn't it? No, it yeah. It's trotted out it as like a, a tagline now, but yeah. he, he was somebody who, who really did embody that Neil no, satisfy and the optimum. I just think it would be great if he could
0: win something this season, yeah. mm. Mm. just, th- just th- on them in a way. Yeah. And I think, it, I suppose it's up to the fans to just tell the club what they want. And I feel sorry for the club because they were left in a no-win position on um, on Saturday. Then It was such a, such a short time before the kick-off that... <laughs> you know, there's nothing really they could do. I hope, I hope in a you know a week or so against Sunderland that maybe they can uh, they can trot out a few of ha- Howard's you know players from his three different times at the club um, and just show the appreciation to him that yes we you know saturday we all showed our appreciation but it was still so raw and it was still it was still so hard for some people especially the older generation to uh to to, to get their heads around and uh let's hope you know suddenly we can sort of appreciate him a bit more and and and, and see <coughs> some of the people p- p- see some of the people out there that he brought to the club and you know a few of us have a, f- a a smile on our faces and recognize that uh right you're listening to the blue room we'll be right back after this the fans, the team, the gossip, the results. You're listening to the Blue Room on Radio City Talk 105.9. Back to the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. Me, Peter Dave Dally, and Dave Downey and Matt Jones. Uh, we're looking forward now to the game against Arsenal, or maybe not. Looking forward to the game <laughs> against <laughs> no, Arsenal really, on Saturday. No. Um, obviously, you know, Saturday, Manchester United performance was uh, was 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 a poor one, really. You know, just tactically, tactically, I thought, you know, Louis Van Gaal. Yeah. Added, absolutely spot on, put pace against our full backs, kept us in with Snidlin and Schweinsteiger, absolutely controlled the midfield and didn't really give us anywhere to go and um, you, you know you look at that game and uh, it's one of them sometimes, you think you're doing well in a season and you see a result like that and then you 5 we've picked up five points from possible 15 at home <laughs> suddenly you know, you, you look at these periods in the season and you think the season can very very quickly flip mm-hmm. if we don't grab hold of it really quickly. And that's where it's going to be interesting on on Saturday. I thought we were really negative against Manchester United. Manchester I thought starting Naismith and Lennon, hmm. I, I thought that was quite negative. It, it didn't really offer anything Oh, uh, you know, I thought you could start. I think you can start with Lennon and Delafay or, or Lennon and God forbid, Kevin Morales, and you, you, you're going to get a little bit of something, but you're still going to get that protection. We, we were talking on the show
3: last week, weren't we? We were saying how he doesn't like two orthodox wingers. He likes a, a winger and then a, a Naismith or a Cleverly or a PR, that, that type of player on, on on the other flank. So I wasn't really too surprised with the team. It was just, I, I think, first of all, yeah, I think you've got to give them a lot of credit because they did get it tactically spot on. The shape was immaculate. Us. They didn't get dragged out at all. They frustrated us on the board. They let us have it at the back, and we just kind of played ourselves into trouble throughout the game. And the fact that watching them against Arsenal the week before, they were all over the place. Schweinsteiger was charging around like a, like a lunatic. But just said off there, then he looked like a dad joining in with the uh, with the kids in a school yeah. game. He was just absolutely ran the game, and we just didn't really put anything together at all. And it was just. It was the only frustrating thing for me. Really, was that in the second half we didn't try a, a different system. Or I know we went a lot more direct, but it was just. It was just more of the same in terms of the personnel and the shape. He, he brought on Delafay for Lennon, and then he brought on Coney uh, for Naismith, and it, it was just. It was just all very much the same. We didn't try anything mm. different to try and get around them, and. Um, you know, I think we needed to score in, in that spot at half time really, but fair you know, fair play to their goalkeeper made a couple of really good saves and and then they, they killed the game off, didn't they? Yeah. There's there's a couple of aspects for
2: me that when when we're attacking teams at home, um that blatantly aren't working and I understand now the over reliance and well, what say over reliance, the reliance put on Ross Barkley's shoulders considering how good he's been so far this season and um the the sort of position he's finding himself in now because he looks a different player in terms of confidence when he's on the ball um, the the detriment to that I think is when we go forward he's obviously the man that most things go through now and teams will try and stifle him and get players around him, I thought United did an excellent job of that and we, we again going similar to what Matt said, we're still resorting to doing the same thing by giving him the ball time after time to be the man that, that, that breaks their lines that's all well and good because he's good enough to do that despite players being put on. I, mean, I have full faith in him finding a way because he is that good. Um, obviously, he'll have his off games. Saturday being one of them. The problem I have is mm. nobody around him running past him, finding space. Yeah. There was none of that whatsoever. Like you said in the, in the break, Matt, that Adam Lennon was coming uh, inside. There was no width, um, and it made every time Barkley got the ball. You could see the frustration in his movement when he got it. There was no sort of penetration in his runs. There was mm-hmm. it was almost uh, hesitant, and he, he was stuttering when he was on the ball looking for a pass. And it, more often
3: than not, it, it went backwards or yeah. square. But the, uh, it was cr- for me in the second half. It was crying out for Morris to just bring him a little bit deeper and put another striker on because he was playing in, in that advanced role in front of McC- McCarthy and Barry and. He was just with Schneiderlin and Schweinsteiger in there and Herrera as well. He was—he was, he was basically made a free man midfield, didn't he? He was just so stifled. the possession and in, we were 2 0 down. Yeah, exactly, and Man United yeah.
0: weren't looking to go anywhere. The, so the, 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 our pressing
2: game's gone out the window. By the way, because I, I was looking earlier this season. <laughs> uh, well, did we ever have one? Well, I was only looking uh, again. Well. Bored on holiday, looking at a couple of videos. Sad as I am of the uh, the Southampton game and how that sort of uh, gang mentality, hunting for the ball and stuff like that. I thought we were really good against Southampton that day. Ever ever since then, and I include the, the comeback win against West mm. Brom in this. We haven't really done that. We haven't really pressed yeah. from the front. We've midfielders aren't pressing the ball. James McCarthy does it but he looks ridiculous doing On it when own. Gareth Baddy's not doing it and when Barkley's not doing
3: it. And if you've got one player in the team, he does it. It makes yeah, more sense. Yeah, space, and, and you are looking at him and you're thinking, he's running around
2: like a headless chicken here. And and it, it mistakes people into thinking he's having a poor game mm. when probably
0: he's following instructions and nobody else is doing the same thing I him. Looking there At the under 21 Game tonight Cleverly's back Mm -hmm. I think that could make A massive difference If he gets back In the team Because he does like To do that job Um, I think it's a natural Thing for players Like him With with Cleverly His natural
2: instinct Is to press Same with Obviously McCarthy Mm -hmm. But I was looking, funnily enough, at Liverpool's game against Spurs and I've seen Lucas do it a couple of times mm. and obviously Liverpool have got personnel that have got to adapt to Klopp's style, which is pressing and some of them just aren't tailored to
0: do it and when some do it yeah. and some don't, it looks ridiculous I, I, think, I think Barry, for the most <coughs> part of the season, has been really good I really think he's been good but I think there are going to have to be times this season where we do break up that midfield three and do different things, because I think there's a lot of responsibility on Ross Barkley's shoulders. It's almost like if you play him, you can't have another winger, mm. and maybe when he grows into that position a little bit more and, and he can be, uh, I don't like to use the word trusted, but just just gets to get to be a, a more of an all round midfielder, then we can have a little bit more attacking, but my big problem at the moment is where do the goals come from yeah. if Lukaku isn't scoring? You know, He's playing well too, yeah, by I, the way. Yeah, I thought, he was, I thought he was perfectly fine. I thought he was good, especially that little spell in the second half. But where's the midfielder running past him? You know, where's that player? So we, who does does it, at, it's Kone, and he hasn't got the legs to do it. Look at Herrera for their goal. Yeah. yeah. Bombing on past Rooney, mm. getting into the box on the in the head. We don't have a third-man runner in the team because McCarthy won't go, Barry won't go. And, and Barkley does want to sit deep and try and play... Play with the ball at his feet. He doesn't want to run onto things. It's not his game. And if, if, if you've got three in there, who's going to do it? Um, that, that's where you might look at someone like Morales, well, though. And Smith, bring him I suppose Naismith is the obvious one, but he stuck out wide. And I just don't think he offers you nothing. He really hasn't done anything since the Chelsea game. No. And I know. We, you know, when he scored the hat trick, he had to stay in the team. But that, that's not—he's <coughs> like, he's making his not, off that now, isn't That's he? not. Yeah, that's not a license to stay that, in the team. That
3: that game for me, I think a lot of the young players in the team will learn. Um, <laughs> it'll be a steep learning curve for a lot of them, and hopefully, going forward, we'll, we'll see them take them lessons on board. But one thing that's worried me recently, and it's it's more about the defensive side of things, is that when when a player seems to make a mistake or something happens that's not in the pattern of play, we seem to panic and, and lose our composure. Mm. If, if, the first goal, Nasmith heads that ball up in the air, and it's panic stations. No one knows what they're doing. everyone loses their man. The second goal, Coleman dives in. Stones rushes out. The third goal again. Jagielka plays that poor pass, and they look shell shocked. Mm-hmm. And, and
0: they seem, they seems slow to react. And also, to making errors with in games. that as well. You know that, especially the second goal, two seasons ago. John Stones isn't, or whoever's playing centre half isn't rushing over there. James McCarthy is, or you know. Gareth Barry is that. That was the great thing about the first season. The fullbacks could get as forward as they wanted because Barry and McCarthy g- were filling in, and they don't seem to do that job McCarthy anymore. McCarthy was was quite close to Roja, Rojo though. Well, he, he, he probably could have yeah. had it, but, but Stones had gone into the area and then left a the big hole in the middle of it, pass. It's not lack of
3: composure, isn't it? It's just that I think I think English teams are really poor at this as a whole, not not just mm-hmm. Everton. It's just when, when when mistakes happen in games and they don't seem to have the the in game cerebral instincts to
0: just mm-hmm. take stock, have a bit of composure, and mm-hmm. and, and get back and shape I think that's maybe what uh, Jagielka was saying to, to John Stones, you didn't need to go out there yeah. for that for mm-hmm. that second goal, you didn't need to go. Um, it was a rookie mistake, you know, uh, he's still got them in him of course, he is, you know. yeah. he's not going to become the world's best defender overnight, let's be honest. He <laughs> um, <It> already has. <laughs> uh, we, just, we just, Dave, we just haven't got enough time to talk about uh, Tim Howard, I'm afraid. Uh, uh, well, he was just disgraceful once again. And, uh, <laughs> okay, we have got enough time. Well, we've got enough time. We've got what twenty seconds.
2: <laughs> that, that, was, that, was, that was embarrassing. The first goal, Snidal puts it across him. He dives to his near post. Rooney's goal. He dives out the way into the space Is and neglects the near post. Disgraceful
0: goalkeeper. He's got, now, isn't he? Yeah. Gotta go. We'll still he's get, gotta go. We'll still get three points. Gotta the go. Weekend. Right, you've been listening to the <laughs> Blue Room. Thanks for listening. Good night.